So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn with me. uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be this weekend. If you've been with me when I've been here, I've just simply been working through the the, the Old Testament, uh, looking at significant men and women of the Old Testament, looking at their lives, looking at what God had called them to do, and then calling out some principles that that we can like take and we can apply to our life and we can apply to our situation. So Judges chapter 6, 1 and 10, um, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon. And so I really struggled with the sermon title for this, and, uh, and so I just kept it the name of the person we're studying. But I felt I needed a sermon title for this one, and so maybe I'll just do a subtitle for you real quickly so you know what's, kind of what's coming. Uh, so yes, we're going to look at Gideon's life, but I just need to let you know that I, I, I could have titled this message, uh, Biblically Correct, Politically Incorrect, or are uh, not politically correct. Our biblical correctness does not equal political correctness. So you get the picture right? This message, I'm just telling you, I know, I know, I know, it is not politically correct. So you, you do not need to feel a need to send me an email and say, hey, by the way, that was politically offensive. That was not politically correct. And so this isn't even a message in, in, about politics at all. This is just opening up the scriptures, walking through the scriptures, and understanding them together. Because I think we should just be willing to stand on God's word and let God's word speak where God's word speaks. So, so we're going to look at this guy by the name of Gideon. And so Gideon was this guy that God raises up, uh, raises up to call the children of Israel back to God. The children of Israel, they were God followers, but they drifted really far away from God. And so God uses this guy Gideon to call the people back to God. Now. Now, Gideon wasn't raised in a, in a home that followed God. Fact is, the God did his home worship, they worshiped Baal. It was Balaam worship. It was Baal worship. Uh, it was the God of their age, the God of their time, and that's who his family worshiped. And so God called him out of that, and all of a sudden, Gideon is the one that God used to call the people back to God. So a little bit of backstory to this story is, is many of you know that Joshua had led the children of Israel into the promised land. They're in the promised land. So they cross the Jordan. They're in the promised land, the, the land flowing of milk and honey, of blessing where they had freedom and God's blessing and all of that. Uh, God used Joshua and the, 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 the Israelites to push out the giants of the land. And so they're in the promised land. And I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, they have the blessings of God. Uh, God's hand is on them. Uh, They are honoring God and they are walking with God. And it's a wonderful time in their history. And Joshua is about ready to die. And Joshua must have seen some signs with the people of God. So Joshua gathers all the people around and says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm about to die. But I need to encourage you, whatever you do, do not turn your back on God. I mean, in your prosperity and in these good times, do not forget that God is the one that blessed you. God is the one that got you here. And so a couple of times the people responded back, yes, we will continue to worship God. We won't turn back. We will worship God. Joshua dies, and what do they do? They turn their back on God. 
They no longer worship him. And all of a sudden, this people of God, this distinct people group, now there's no more distinctives of them. They no longer worship God. They look more like their culture uh, than, than instead, of, instead of being a culture that like follows God and that follows the way of Scripture. And so they were allowing culture to influence them instead of them influencing the culture. They were allowing culture to affect them instead of them affecting culture. They forgot who they were. They forgot that God is the one that allowed them to go in the promised land. God is the one that blessed them. God is the one that, that, that brought them there. They've turned their back on God. And so now God has to bring them back. And so that's where you come, the book of Judges. And so God corrects them. God disciplines them. And then God uses Joshua to bring them back. Fact is, in the book of Judge, Judges, you see this cycle all the time. It was a great blessing of God, great favor of God. God they walk away from God, then God goes and gets them and corrects them, they come back to God, and then God blesses them, They've, and you see this cycle over and over. And so we're going to take a moment in time and see what is happening, because this is happening culturally there. Our obedience brings God's blessing, and our disobedience brings God's correction. And we just need to understand that, and we see this in, in, in this text. And so it's in their oppression it's in their consequences to their actions, consequences to the sin, that they finally come to the place. They hit their knees. They say, God, help us. And then God raises up Gideon to, to bring them back. And so they are once a prosperous nation. They're no longer prosperous. And so what is happening there is not uncommon what happens to us personally or even as a country. I mean, three questions. When I started work, work, working through this text, I just wrote down three questions like on my legal pad, my notepad, it's in, and I wrote, I says, do you think a country is immune from the principles of God? Do you, do you, think, do you think personally that you're immune from the principles of God, just personally? Do you think any country can continue to drift farther and farther away from God and that God will not eventually deal with the country? So that what brings us to the text. So the next three hours that I have with you, I'm going to explain this. I mean, after all, the Cowboys are on a bye, so who cares? We're not, I mean, we don't need to watch football today. We got plenty of time. So, so okay. So that may be the only humor in the sermon. I thought I'd need to get, just get that out. So Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Let's read them together. We're going to come back. I'm going to give you three principles with a bunch of subpoints uh, for you this morning. So here we go. The Israelites did what was evil inside of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in, mountain, in mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to, to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey." For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their cam camels were without number. And they entered the land to lay waste to it. They didn't make the land better. They made it worse. They're destroying the land. Verse 6. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord. When the, when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet to them. And he said to them, this is what the Lord God Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. 
Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. There's an entire group of people living outside of the will of God, have drifted away from him. And listen, we are living in a time, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on this. We are living in a time where believers no longer have any real influence in our community. We no longer have any real influence in society. We no longer have influence in society. Fact is, what concerns me more than anything is, is sometimes it seems that the community, the, 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 the age, the secular age, has more influence than the believers. And what was sacred is now turning into secular. And Christians no longer have the impact in the, in the community they once had. The community is affecting the Christians more than the Christians are affecting the community. And a lot of people during this time, right, and you may have heard it, are saying, where is God? Just where is God in all of this? I mean, we're drifting. Where is God in all this? And you know what they're asking? They're asking, where are the people of God? Where are the people of God that are living by the Scriptures, that are willing to stand up and willing to say something? Where are the people of God with the Spirit of God on them? Are they willing to walk in love and kindness and peace and just speak of what the Scriptures say to help give direction? What is happening when the churches seem like are becoming more secular than sacred, where it seems like the culture is affecting Christians more than Christians are affecting the culture? That's just the introduction. So I want to give you three things. I want to give you three things that we should all call attention to. Just walk, we're just going to walk through this text. And we're going to understand this together with some, with, with some, with some, with some subpoints. But the first thing is this that we've got to understand is they didn't get to this place of distress overnight. They did not get to this place of distress overnight. So we're just going to walk through these scriptures. So verse 1, here's what it says. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian... For how long? Seven years. Can I just tell you, an individual, a country, it's not an immediate blowout. It's a slow leak. It's a slow drift. It's one small compromise after another. It is just to where you just slowly start compromising. You start slowly start drifting away from God to all of a sudden you end up in a place and said, I did not intend to get here. What happened to where you can no longer hear the voice of God? You can no longer reason with the scriptures ever, like, like you once could. And so I thought of this the other day. About four or five days ago, I, I was on my bike, and I was riding. I was about three to five miles away from the house. And that's just one of the ways that I process, and, and uh, I'll read a scripture and then get on a bike and maybe meditate on that scripture or whatever. And so I'm like three or, three or four miles away from the house. And all of a sudden, I noticed even though I'm on flat ground, it's like getting harder and harder to pedal. I mean, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I cannot be this out of shape. And so it's getting harder and harder to pedal. And then all of a sudden, I looked down, and I noticed on my front tire, my front tire was like getting larger. I mean, all of a sudden, I realized there's a leak. I mean, I, I've got a flat tire. And I could start hearing this, the hissing sound of the air coming out of the tube. And I realized I got a flat tire. It was just a slow leak. It happened over time. I immediately turned around, and I immediately started heading back to the house because I knew that if not... I mean, it's going to be a disaster, and I'm going to end up having to either call Karen or, like, push this bike home. And, and so I headed back home, and, 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 but I could see the signs. The same is true spiritually. When people begin, when people are a country, starts drifting away from God, it's not immediate. We'd all notice that. It is a slow drift. It is slow compromise. I'm just going to quit worshiping him. 
Worship is like no longer a priority. I'm going to quit reading Scripture. I'm going to quit praying. I'm going to quit going to Bible study. I'm going to quit serving him. I'm going to quit gathering with Christians. And it's, a, it's just a slow process. It's a, see, this is what was happening. This community was in like this seven years. Seven years, they should have been able to hear the hissing sound of the tires spiritually, right? They should have been able to see this is not headed in a good direction. And it's a slow drift for seven years. See, you do not become spiritually mature overnight, and you do not become an apostate overnight. It's a slow process. And see, what's happening in this text is there's a slow drift away from God. They're no longer sensitive to God any longer. They no longer can hear his voice any longer. And listen, I thought of this on Wednesday. If you're a Comcast customer, an Xfinity customer, uh, you probably lived this with me. But Comcast, like, lost all Internet in, like, Pueblo and Pueblo West, right? And it was like weeping and gnashing of teeth that we could no longer communicate with the Google. I mean, we could not talk to the Google. And it's bad stuff, right? It is bad. And we knew it immediately that, oh, no, we cannot ask the Google one thing right now. Wouldn't it be something if we were so sensitive to God, we knew when the Internet was out with him? This group of people, the Internet was out. And they couldn't communicate with God because they didn't even know. They didn't even try. And it says the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, listen, I have an inquiring mind, and I want to know, what was the evil that they did? What was the evil that, what was the big deal? What was the evil that they did? I know they became more secular than, than sacred. That's clear in Scripture. And so I'm telling you, I've read, I've read tons of commentaries this last week. I've read historical documents. I've read extra biblical records. I have looked at this issue because I want to know what is the evil in the sight of the Lord that they did. The evil in the sight of the Lord, they embraced the God of their world. They embraced the pagan culture. In the pagan culture, they worshipped a God, the worship of Baal. It was Baal worship. It's pride and immorality. In other words, they thought they were above the scriptures. They thought they were above God. And they worship. And the Baal worship was this issue of pride. Now, Jesus talks about this in Revelation chapter 2. When he talks to the seven churches, and he says, these are the things that, that, that I want to compliment you about, and these are the things that I have against you. Well, when he gets to the, 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 the I think it's the third church, the church of Pergamon. And so he gets to the church of Pergamon. He brags about them, about some things, and then he says, hey, and this is what I have against you. I have against you your Balaam worship, your Baal worship, and that you're living like the Nicolaitans. And so the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Baal were basically, basically the same thing. It was pride and it was immorality. See, the Nicolaitans was founded by a guy by the name of Nicholas, and you can find that in the New Testament, and so he's the one that found that. And so it was, we would call it Gnosticism. You may not know what Gnosticism is, but it is still alive and breathing in, in our world as it was in their world. Gnosticism comes from this Greek word gnosis, gnoso, which just simply means knowledge. You know what they worship? Pride and knowledge. Their pride, their knowledge. And so it was pride and it was knowledge. And so they worship knowledge. Uh, we have this secret information. We know more than God. We know more than the scriptures. And so they worship knowledge. They also taught 
that as long as you have knowledge of God, then you're a God follower. As long as you have knowledge of God, as long as you just simply say, I believe in God, then like you're good to go. It's not coming to the place where you accept his sacrifice for you on the cross. You repent of your sins. You want the kingdom of God principles in your life, and you make some changes. It's none of that. It was only based upon knowledge. And here's, here, here's another thing about Gnosticism, and you still see it in our day and time. <laughs> they believed and they taught that your body is separate from your spirit. Fact is, your body has nothing to do with your spirit. In other words, this, you can do with whatever you, you could do with whatever you want with your body. And it doesn't affect your spirit. It doesn't affect your relationship with God. God doesn't care what you do with your body. That's what they, that's what they would taught. You know, you know the guys that came up, you know the people that came up with, it's your body, it's choice. It wasn't us. This has gone on since Judges. Jesus talked about this in Revelation. And this is what Jesus said. He says, this group of people, they begin to question God's word. And they're worshiping out of pride and they're worshiping out of knowledge. And they think they know that, this, that I am under them or that they are over the scriptures. And so when you look at this, they would say that no longer do they believe the God of Baal, the God of the Nicolaitans, the culture that they're in. They would believe that, guess what? God's word is not the final authority. This is what he's upset about. The church is buying into that. In other words, the culture of their day, culture of the Nicolaitans, saying stuff like, God did not define marriage. We define marriage. That stuff that's in the scriptures, you know what? We get to define marriage. We define gender. gender. God doesn't determine who's male and who's female. We, we got knowledge. We have pride. We determine that. God doesn't determine morality. God doesn't determine, determine sexuality. God doesn't even define when life begins. We do. That's the God of this age. I was talking to a friend just real quickly. He's a doctor. He's a Christian. He's a close friend. So I looked at him and I said, hey, just just as as a medical doctor, as a scientist, when does life begin? Forget the scriptures. When does life begin? He said, oh, that's easy. Life begins at blood flow. Life begins at heartbeat, which is just basically a few days after conception. That's when life begins medically. So there was this guy, William Harvey, in 1615 that discovered, he was a researcher, he was a, he was a, he was a scientist, and he discovered that life is in the blood. Life is in the circulation of blood. That's when life begins. It was 1615. Can I just tell you this? In Leviticus, you can look it up for yourself, Leviticus 1711, it says life is in the blood. 3,000 years before William Harvey made that discovery, my Bible already said life is in the blood. It took 3,000 years for medical science to catch up with the scriptures and prove the scriptures right. Just because you read something in scriptures you don't agree with or you, you, you don't understand doesn't mean it's wrong. It just simply means you don't understand it. And it took thousands of years, listen, for medical science to catch up with the scriptures. And so now you have this people group that is saying, you know what? We define all of this, not God. And it's seeping into the church, the secularism of their day, the humanism of their day. And God is upset because he says, you're the people of God. You should know better. You should know better. So for seven years, there's this slow leak going. The tire is going flat, and they don't even realize it. Second principle is this. They could no longer enjoy the blessings of God. 
One of the ways that you know that you're drifting, one of the ways you know a country is drifting, they can no longer enjoy the blessings of God that they once enjoyed. Remember, the children of Israel, they are in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had given them, the land that God had promised them. God had driven out all of their enemies. They were not oppressed. Uh, their economy was, was going great. Their life was good. And, and all of a sudden, they drifted away from God. And the scriptures teach sin will never allow you to enjoy the blessings of God. And this is what was happening to them. Listen, can I just tell you this? Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you a prisoner. Sin makes you a slave to whatever that is. It, it takes the freedom and the blessing out of your life. And so I just want to give you some signpost markers of what was happening. Maybe, maybe I would say it is, is noticing that the tire is going flat and how they ignored them. The first thing is this, is they are living on the run. They have no peace. That is one of the signs that you can have that when you're drifting away from God, that peace is going away. So they're living on the run. There's no peace. Verse 2. And they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. And so you know what? They are pushed out of their homes. They're on the run. They're living in foxholes. They're living in strongholds. They're living in in, in caves, they're living in tents, they're living on the run, and not because they like to camp, not because they like to RV, not because they like to hang out in KOA camp, campgrounds. They are on the run because they are being oppressed. In other words, they're on the run, and like nothing is working for them. The things that used to work no longer work for them. Listen, sin will always rob you of the things that God has given you. Sin will always rob you of the blessings of God. Sin, listen, sin does not make you a bad person. It just makes you a prisoner. You lose that peace and that freedom. Here's the second signpost. They lost their income. They started losing their disposable income. In other words, things started creeping up. Look at this, verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amakites, and the people of the east came and attacked them. So they're working harder than they've ever worked in their life. Some of them are working two and three jobs. And so they're working. They're, they're, they're staying in caves. They're staying in strongholds. They're working the crops. And then when, when all of a sudden the paycheck's going to come in, all of a sudden they're going to get their bonus or they're going to get the harvest, you know, at the Midianites, the Amakites, and the people from the east, they realized that. You know what they would do? They would come in and they would push the Israelites back up into the mountains and they would take the money. They would take the harvest. And they only got the crumbs, the Israelites, when they came out. So they lost their, they lost their peace. They lost their income. Here's another one. They lost their possessions. Their possessions began to go. Uh, verse 4. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. They lost everything. They lost the freedom they had. They lost their money. They lost their income. They lost their job. And now, all of a sudden, you see that they're losing their possessions. And guess what? They're still drifting away from God. Guess what? They're not saying, you know what? We need, we need to, like, head home. We need to head home. Because if not, this tire is going to be flat. So, so here's another one. Then they lose their self-respect. Uh, verse 5. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like great swarm of locusts. They and their, their camels were without number. And they entered the land to lay waste to it. They just came in and destroyed it. Because they wouldn't want the children of Israel to 
enjoy it. So you know what that means? They had no hope. They had no identity. They no longer knew who they were as a people of God, following Yahweh. They had none of that. And then at, at the bottom, at the bottom, seven years later, the last thing is this, is, is now they experience true brokenness. You know when you experience brokenness is when you truly cry out to God. When you truly turn to God, verse 6, so Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites finally, after seven years of this, cry out to God and cried out for the Lord to help them. It took seven years to get there. I mean, they had to lose everything. They could have turned around when they lost peace, but they didn't. God will never allow a believer to sin successfully. You may enjoy what Scripture says. You may enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, but there's, there's a season that it will turn different. So they, they, they cry out for help, and, and, and um, they can no longer look into the future with, with like hope and with, like, with joy. They, they lived once in a land. I just want you to understand this. They li- lived once in a land of unbelievable freedom. It was not appreciated. It was not honored. They walked away from God. They got to the place they didn't believe God gave it to them. They had no respect, and at one time they could enjoy what God had done in their life with protection and everything else. And now they're living in fear in their own land. They're living in a press. They can't even believe the things they're seeing. I don't know about you, and maybe I'm stating the obvious. but I cannot help but think about our country. And I don't know about you, but our country needs help. And there's things the God of this age, this secular culture, is saying and telling us to do. Wouldn't you agree it's just totally irrational? It's not even logical. We're either going to have a of movement of God where we're finally going to cry out for help or we're going to continue to move farther and farther away from here where we just finally have the flat and he brings us to our knees. There's a famous scripture that a lot of people use. It's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's yard signs are like popping up more and more and sometimes this verse is taken out of context or misunderstood. Um, it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to talk about it just a little bit. But it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and heal their land. That phrase, if my people, that's plural. If my people, that's the people of God. That is not if my president, if my political party, If my government, if my Congress, if my Senate, if my leaders, no. It says, if my people, my people, plural. You know where revival starts? Revival never starts in the White House. You know where revival starts? Revival starts in your house and my house. Revival starts when you and I are willing. That's what that scripture says. Revival says happens when you and I are willing to draw a circle around ourselves. And Lord, where do I need to change? Lord, where do I need to humble myself? Lord, where do I need to repent? 
And when God changes your house, it will change the church house. Then it changes the White House. Then it changes the country. So when you look at this text, you realize that it's if my people who are called by my name, who claim me, this is what he's frustrated about, will humble themselves and pray to me and seek my face, I will heal their land. The third and the last thing, and listen, I want you to hear. This is the grace. I want you to hear the grace of God and the hope of God and how much God loves you even when you drift far away from him and how much he still loved this people group. This is unbelievable to, to me. So the last principle is the way back to him is obedience. The way It's the same when I had that flat tire. The way back to freedom was getting back to home where I could find a compressor or put in a new tube or whatever. The way back to him is obedience. And God had them remember a time when God was faithful. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're struggling right now with wondering if God is faithful, then you have to remember, you have to remember in your past when he was faithful. There's a scripture that I love in the New Testament that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And you're going to see this come out. Even when the children of Israel drifted from him and they weren't very faithful, they were faithless, God was still faithful to him when he corrected them and brought them. That was out of love. That was discipline. That was out of love. And so he sends them, verse 7, he sends them a prophet. Now listen, a lot of times, especially in our culture, we have a bad definition of what a prophet is. You ask most people, hey, what's a prophet? You know what they'll tell you? Oh, that's a, that's a guy that predicts the future. I mean, a prophet is a person in Scripture that predicts the future. I find that in my life all the time. Whenever I'm out in public and I play golf or whatever and someone finds out I'm a preacher, you know what they ask me? When's Jesus coming back? I mean, when's the second coming? Who's the Antichrist, right? And they always have their person. And so who's the Can you tell us? Can I just tell you, there's a couple of times, there's a, the, the majority of time when God sent a prophet to a people group, it was never to predict the future. Yeah, there's a couple of examples. Can I tell you, the majority of the time, when God sent a prophet, prophet to a people group, he would simply call out what's happening. This is what is happening in the culture. This is what you're doing. This is your behavior. And if you don't change, these are going to be the consequences. It's not often a, a definition of prophet that we have. So verse 7, let's see what the prophet says, and I'll give you a couple things. We'll close. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to him. And he said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. So he's giving them a strong word. I mean, we would, he's calling them to repentance. You know what repentance is? A change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's all it is. He said, I, need you, to, I, I like, need you to change your mind. And he gave them hope. He didn't say, bless your heart that you're in this mess, right? He gave them hope. And listen, just real quickly, um, I'm from Texas. And so those of you that aren't, and probably you're going, well, thank God I'm not. And so I, I get that. But I'm from Texas, and so we have a definition. So whenever we use the word bless your heart, that means something totally different to us than it does to you. That's just in Texas when someone says bless your heart, that's just a, that's just a, that's just a nice way of saying you idiot. That's all that means. 
Like, like if you're headed to church and you run out of gas, you run out of gas, or you stick your hand in the garbage disposal, and you go to church and you tell someone that, they'll look at you and say, bless your heart. And that's just a nice way we go, you idiot. And so, so anyway, just a little bit of humor there. And so felt we needed it. And so God didn't tell them, bless your heart, you're in this mess. He gave them a way out. In the middle of this judgment, you see hope. In the middle of this judgment, you see gr- grace. All hope is based on the promises of God. So even when we are faithless, he is faithful. So here's what the prophet did. The first thing he did, he shared with them, this is what God has done for you. God has brought you out of Egypt. God has delivered you from the Egyptians. God has delivered you from the oppressors. God has given you the land filled with milk and honey. God has pushed out the the, the residents of the land and the giants of the land. And, and, and he has given it to you. So many times, listen, I'm telling you, we've walked through some pretty low valleys in our life. And here's what I've learned about the valleys. That whenever you feel like, whenever you wonder if God is faithful, you need to remember a time when God was faithful in your life. And this is what he does. It's the kindness of God that brings the repentance of people. And you even hear this. Is the prophet, he's not angry, he's not mean, he's not judgmental. The second thing he does, he tells them what God did. He, t- he tells them who God is. Uh, he says, I am the Lord your God. And listen, that is great news for us. Can you imagine this people group have drifted so far away from God? And all of a sudden he sends a prophet and he says, hey, I need to remind you, the Lord, the Lord is still your God. You're still a, you're still a child of God. When you hear preachers preach on TV or wherever and they're telling you that you can lose your salvation, don't believe it. Don't believe it. If anybody could have lost their relationship with God, it would have been the Israelites. And he came to them time and time and time again and reminded them, I am the Lord your God. You are still my child. If you have come into a relationship with him, then there's no way you can ever lose your salvation. And then the next thing he did, he says, God told them what he desired. He said, he said you, must, you must worship me. He said that a little bit differently. He said, you must do not fear the God of the Amorites whose land you live in. Fear is what keeps a lot of people from speaking up. When people ask, where is God? They're really asking, where are the people of God that are willing to speak up, not just on Facebook, where that's really easy, Where you speak up in the workplace, the school, people that you have relationships with, in the community. That's what they're asking. See, he says, do not fear the God of the Amorites. What keeps a lot of people from speaking up is fear, if we're honest. Because the, the culture will say they got more knowledge than you. And they can't believe you believe that stuff. And you can't believe you believe that stuff of the Scripture. And if I'm honest, when I wrote this message... I had a little bit of fear because I want you to like me. That's why he says, do not fear the God of of the Amorites. God always tells us, God always tells us what he wants us to do. And many times we fail to experience the goodness of God and the promises of God because we're waiting on him to do something. It's kind of like, have you ever rolled up to a a four-way stop And it's like everybody's just way too kind at the four-way stop. (laughs) 
Like nobody wants to, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. You're just stuck at the four. It's like eternity. I hate it. And so I just go. I'm just rude. And so I'm, bam, I'm done. <laughs> but you're stuck there, right? Sometimes I think that we can get in this place with God. And it's God, you go. And he'd go, no, you go. God, when you go, I go. God, you move, I move. And God's, no, no, you go. You go, then I, then I move. I'm, I'm sending you. There's, I hear people all the time say, I'm, I'm like in a situation, and I, I need God to move, and I need God to do something. I need God to take care of this. But the majority of the time, listen, the majority of the time, we already know what to do. God's waiting for us to do something. Maybe we don't need a movement of God. Maybe we need a movement of people that are willing to say, hey, you know what? We're going to move, and we're going to expect God to bless us. Because, see, God will never do your part. I'm just telling you. God will never do for you what you can do for yourself. God will never do your part. And God never expects you to do the supernatural. And that's good news to me and that's good news to you because guess what? We're not supernatural. We can't do that. So God only asks you to do the natural and God will do the supernatural. Remember the parting of the Red Sea with Moses? So you would all agree that parting of the sea was like supernatural, right? That was God's part. What was Moses' part? He just had to hold up a stick. Because he can do that. So did he hold up a stick after the sea parted or before the sea parted? Before. Before. You do your part, I'll do my part. You do the natural part, I'll do the supernatural part. Remember Joshua? When God led Joshua to cross the River Jordan with all the Israelites? That was a miracle. Fact is, is probably when you understand the geography, it was a bigger miracle than the Red Sea, but we only think about the Red Sea because of Charlton Heston and he made it famous. <laughs> Prince of Egypt and all that stuff is actually a bigger miracle. So he told Joshua, he tell Joshua, go stand in the river and I'll stop the flow of the Jordan River. When the river stopped, before Joshua got in the water or after? After. After. Remember when, when Pharaoh needed to see a miracle? And, and God turned the stick into a snake? Remember what Aaron had to do? Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the stick. He only had to do his part. Maybe what we need. It's not a movement of God, but a movement of people that no longer fear the God of this age and the criticism that will come when you say, I stand on the scriptures in a loving and a kind way. The last thing you see, you see how they responded, and it says, it says, verse 10, and I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites whose, whose land you lived in, but you did not listen. And in walks Gideon. And Gideon was the man that took the first step. And Gideon had fear. And Gideon says, I don't think I can do this. And God said, all I'm asking you to do is just do the natural part. And Gideon said, well, how will I be able to do this? 
And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. You start walking, and I'll create a movement, and I will go with you. So maybe what we need is a movement of people. Maybe you're here today, and you need to make a decision. Maybe you've bought into Gnosticism, you don't even realize it. And you've never come to the place where you truly accepted Christ. Asking him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life. You've accepted his sacrifice on the cross for the payment of your sins to where you have eternal life. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe God, maybe just God is calling you to do something. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent and seek my face, I will heal their land. Would you bow your heads and close close your eyes with me?